New, 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 new. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. This is episode 11, the first episode of the second season, New Year. We got new music, we have new sections, and a new energy to bring you, our listeners, the best possible podcast that we can. I'm Tim. Joining me are Carlo and Lavelle. What's up, guys? Hey, what's happening? Hey, what's going on? All is well here. I'm excited for this episode. There has been a lot happening in the last month since the holiday kind of break. I had a couple of weeks off where I had no digital connectivity, which was pretty awesome. And I came back like after having read a few novels, stoked to get back into the fold of the hobby, get some games in, and get the next episode of the podcast recorded, which is what we're doing here today. So as we always do, let's start off with hobby progress. We're talking building, we're talking painting, we're talking games, we're talking purchases, etc. and so on. Lavelle, why don't you get us started? So I've been camping out at all the local stores. I've been on the prowl looking out for this Custodes Codex, which everybody knows. As of our recording today, it should drop in two days. Boom. So I've got my tent and everything. I'm waiting. It's like the iPhone 11. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm ready for it. And I've been watching all the, the videos and everything about it, reading all the reviews. I'm really, really excited about it. But let me tell you something else. I've been working on rebuilding and repairing and fleshing out my huge Necron force. I'm really, really excited about the potential of the Necron Codex, which they're saying is going to be coming out around March. Sweet. But let, let me tell you about a rumor that I just saw online today. I don't know if you guys heard it. Have you heard about the box set that they're saying is going to be coming out in March? The box set with, with, with Necrons? A battle, the battle for Mars, Admech versus Necron. What? That's crazy. Yes, it's a rumor now. Whoa, it's a rumor. That's like some um, some void dragon type of meth right there. That's great. That is exactly what it is. And you know, one of the things that the the rumor that I heard, which will make me very unique about it, the guy was saying that it would be the first box set that didn't include a Space Marine. Wow. I was just thinking that. Hmm. Yeah, it's like everything, like dark. Uh, Vengeance, you know, like Battle for Black Reach, all that stuff. It was all uh, Space Marines Space versus... Marine. Now, one of the things that, I don't know if I... Because I'm, I'm like a, a, a prowler and I've been watching the GW <laughs> website. Yeah. One of the things that interesting happening last week is they put up a set of Sisters of Battles. And it was a huge set and it was a mix of old and new models. Really? And it was some... Yes, it was huge. But it had old and new models and you could buy a Battle Force. And there was some question about whether or not they were going to be re-releasing the Codex and why they would put that out there now as opposed to be working on new sculpts. So they may be pushing that out in the past. I've been stalking kind of what they were doing because I got to tell you, I love the Custodes, mm -hmm. but the new Codex took me by surprise. How do you mean? I, di I just didn't expect them to be doing something new that before much. they fleshed out everything that they had in the mix. Sure. Well, apparently it's not, it's not a super long, it's not a super large codex, right? Cause there's not that many options for the, uh, for the models yet, right? There's a, right. you know, very, very, That's correct. the model range is smaller, but it's still, it's still going to be a, a wonderful addition to your collection. I know. Absolutely. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been following everything, everything about it. And, you know, later when it comes out, we're going to do one of our shows focusing on that. Yeah. Um, 
So, you, you know, I want to pause. I, I've been going to a couple of events and everything, and I've been hearing a lot of a lot of the people been pulling me over saying, hey, you know, I listen to your podcast a lot and I really, really enjoy it. Oh, good. And so, yeah, to all of our listeners, hey, welcome. We hope you enjoy our show. But um, so I've been focusing on those two armies right there, my Necrons and my, my, my Custodes. At this point, I think the only thing I need to pick up to really flesh that out is actually – Two HQs and maybe some jet bikes. So two HQs so you could take the battalion? I apologize. I just told you guys a lie. Two <laughs> HQs, the jet bikes, and I got to get some of them terminated. <laughs> right. I'm probably, okay, well, two I'm HQs, probably, the jet bikes, and terminators, <laughs> and – I'm probably lying, so I'm just going to shut my mouth. There you go. <laughs> So tell us about the uh, tournament you played in and what how'd you do with the custodies? You know, I played – I'm not going to tell you who I played with, but so I played with – a couple things I learned. What was the setting? What, what tournament was it? It was the Burks um, – I think they call it the Winter Assault. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, good, and, good. And, and the, the Burks Winter Assault. Blast. Winter Blast, the Winter yeah. Blast. Mm-hmm. The Burks event is a really, really good event. Yeah. If you, if you want to go to an event and really be competitive and really, like, maximize your list, that's not the place to do it. If you want to go to an event and be able to play um, a really good theme army, a really it, it, that's the place to do it. The guys up there are fun. Yeah. They come from all over. It's well represented across Pennsylvania. It's a really, really good group. They feed you well, all kinds of prizes, and it's just a great atmosphere. Yeah, Mike and great his guys. Sports. Mike and his guys do a great job, and they they give they uh, they do a lot of charity work too, which is nice. And the terrain looks good. They have really good terrain too. Yeah, it was really, really a good event, and I was there at eight eight in the morning. I think I left there at ten thirty at night. Nice. It was really well held. <laughs> good. Um, we had, we played three rounds with my custodies. I think we went two one, but you know, one of the things that I noticed some of the players there's still a lot of confusion moving from seventh to eighth. Really, I played yes, hmm. a lot of confusion. I played a lot of games, a lot of games. And watched a lot of battle reports, and I still had to explain to some of my opponents, you know, hey, these are some differences going from 7th to 8th. Wow. Right. And, you know, a lot of great sportsmanship, a lot of great sportsmanship, making sure that everybody got their full turn on the other side of the table. And I had to explain a lot of people, listen, we're running out of time. All of these things don't matter on the other side of the board. These are the only things that are going to matter for points. So let's just resolve these things and roll these dice. But it was a really, really good event. Good. Um, we actually played double custodes. Mm. Double custodes. And let me just tell you something, what I learned. You know, the psychers, they can really wreck you. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is true. They can wreck you. So, so how big of a force did you bring? Um, we uh, both of us had fifteen hundred points, and I think my total model count might have been oh fifteen models. Oh, that's nice. Great. Fifteen models. Great. Did you take one land raider or two? Two land raiders. Great. In the first game, I lost one model. Wow. Not one unit, one model. What made it so resilient? Um, vulnerable save. They, you know, I had all close combat units. Yeah. And you know, focus fire. <laughs> you know, I was just. Very focused on objectives. Very focused on what it took to win the game. That's great. And the second game, I went up against two, uh, three Wraith Knights, and my rolling, you know, the dice just were not. And so at one point, I got charged by a Wraith Knight, and we we were standing in there. But you know, a Wraith Knight is a Titan; he can move away, and that yeah. that just really was hard for us to do anything about it. Sure, sure. And then the third game, we were playing against um uh, the Night Lords. 
And so he dropped all these night lords in my back line, and I was trying to think. I was looking at them; they were all over the place. I was thinking, "Yeah, what does he think they're going to do?" Mm-hmm. And he charged me for two units, and they whacked on me, but they couldn't move me. Nice. All those white, 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 white. A model way. Now you just wait right there while I gather my dice. <laughs> <laughs> so, how have you been balancing like shooting in close combat with the custodians so far? Do you find them better to get like way up the field and get them aggressive, or do you like to kind of keep some of them back and shoot? In that particular game. Um, our objectives were on this side, on my side of the table, just the way it lit, it lined up. And so, you know, when I need to get them across the field, everybody jumped in the Land Raider. Yep. Good. And the Land Raiders have an invulnerable save, and they can move their full inches and still shoot on regular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My, you know, I like this. I was playing against Justin, my son, and he rage quit. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how I knew it was working. <laughs> he said, this can't be right. Let me see that in the book. I said, yeah, I'm moving 12 inches, and I'll go ahead and, shoot, and hit you in twos. Right, right. <laughs> right, that's, that's so awesome. it, was, it was really good. So I, I did like it. But, you know, once if they crumble, if they, you know, you get bad rolls, they will crumble. It's a fun army to play, let me say that. Yeah. I don't know long-term, you know, if you get a, a guard army will present a problem because he's just got so many guys. Right, right. Did yeah. you go up against any horde armies? Uh, yeah, we were against a guard army. And, you okay. know, since I didn't have an HQ, I had Celestine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Celestine gets in the back line of a guard army. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. She, she's going to run through them, and that's exactly what she was doing. Yeah, good. So that, it, was, it was a nice, fun game. I, I really enjoyed it. Right now, there are two things. I, I got to get my hands on the codex for the custodes, and mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to flesh that out a little bit, but right now I am really, really pumped for um, the possibility of a of the net, of the box set. I'm interested in seeing what the heck they're going to do in that, yeah. but the, seeing what they're going to do with the Necron Codex, because I think the key thing for the Necron Codex is going to be what they do with them, not necessarily around the models, but the stratagems. Sure, I'm sure that'll be key. I'm curious to see if there'll be new if that box set does come to pass. If there'll be any new sculpts in there, will there be new models for Admech? Oh, yeah, that'll be interesting, too, because they got to do something for them. You know, just a little tweak, maybe, or something, or some new unit. You know, if that's the case, I'll definitely get that box. That's cool. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things I'm really curious is if, if they're going to do is if they're going to give us a new Catan. Oh, yeah, right, right, because those, those, those models are super old, right? They're like right five or six years old at this point, probably. Yep, and later on when we talk about the um, when we talk about the Necron, that's one of the things I'm going to be educating you guys on. Awesome, yeah, cool. Any purchases, Lavelle? Any uh, anything you want to share with us that's uh, sitting on the shelf? Nope, I've been waiting after I, I bought my. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I think I shouldn't have said that, Tim, because if Tim, if people find out that you're the one <laughs> that got me that second box. A bad, influence. bad influence. <laughs> Absolutely. After I got that together, I've been walking around selling wolf tickets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Carlo, what about you? What's new? So hobby-wise, uh, not much. I started to work on those um, Fenwolves I've had sitting in the tub for like a year. So I finally got my um, airbrush back out. I was working on um, a couple weeks ago. We did finish up our Secret Servitor. Um, remember talking about that the last episode. Yeah. So that was fun. I got to paint some Eldar Rangers for Adam, nice. and uh, I had to kit bash them because you can't find them anywhere, mm. like online or on GW's website or in store. So they've been out of stock for like two years, apparently. I got some Corsairs, uh, mutilated them, and rebuilt them back with <laughs> some uh, Guardian 
Eldar Guardians and use their arms. And then I had a bunch of uh, Dark Lances. I kind of shaved off the end of the, like, the butt of the Guardian's gun. Sure, yeah. And what did you receive for Secret Servitor? Brian painted a a fantastic uh, Logan Grimnar model on the sled. Oh, and like his chariot. Nice. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Santa. Cool. Santa. Santa on his sleigh. Other than that, you know, I've I've been working on Monica's, uh, her little Christmas gift, a hero-forged creation of her Dungeons and Dragons character. Oh, that's right. Yeah, cool. How's it it coming out? uh, It's pretty good. I'm working on it very slowly, so I've just been doing, like, the face and the hair right now. And then uh, working my way from top to bottom. Awesome. I try to start out with the base. I got, it's like a stone path with some crystals on it. And I wanted to kind of paint each stone and a different color sort of not white like pick three colors and kind of go with that like how you would normally see um a flagstone or whatever uh, cool yeah that's pretty much it right now good i have been working doing a little bit of something every night which has been really nice the last couple of weeks i have a big blood angels army to paint for a friend and when i agreed to do the commission i didn't realize kind of didn't realize what i was getting into those blood angel sculpts have a lot of little details on them i mean every guy has got like this rope around his leg he's got like at least one if not like nine vials of blood and like little like globules of of you know holy blood hanging off of his his armor and whatnot and there's a lot of details that get painted on them so it's taken me some time but i just finished the uh he had a storm raven I just finished that uh day before yesterday turned out really good it was given to me pre-built which I'm not crazy about because it does limit what you can do with it. I didn't really feel like cutting it apart and putting it back together again. So I did the cockpit. I just painted over the cockpit glass, kind of made it, give it like a little shine, and uh, you know, didn't bother with the interior or anything because it was already glued together and the weapons were already in place and whatnot. But but it turned out pretty good. Um, I yeah, saw some, that model. It looked great. Yeah. He, was, he, he seemed happy with it, so that was really good. I cleaned up my hobby space this week, which is really nice. It's a four by eight table in the, in the basement and it turned into like the Christmas present wrapping station for a while. And then it turned into like put stuff down there and we have company space for a while. So it just kind of needed to be reestablished. So I did that this it became week. became like a catch all. Really yeah. It was like a catch all station. Yeah. It became a catch all table. And, uh, so I, I was just kind of, I, I reestablished myself on the table. So I have this blood angels army sitting down there. There's a, a lot of work left to do on that. And then I have uh, some Infinity stuff down there of mine I have to paint. I have some Dark Age stuff to paint, a bunch of terrain. It's you know it's a table a table full of plastic and metal to get painted. Something cool did come up. A buddy of mine is tight with this uh, magazine called Airbrush Action. It's mostly custom airbrush work for everything from like portraits to T-shirts to motorcycles to cars, that kind of stuff. But they asked me to do a feature on painting uh, miniatures with the airbrush. So as I was painting that Storm Raven, I took a ton of pictures and was writing, you know, writing like little blurbs about my process. So next week I'm going to turn that into an article for the magazine, which will appear on their website, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. Purchases. I did buy a bunch of stuff these last couple of weeks. I picked up the uh, Assault on Black Reach box set i wanted the terminators i wanted you know the uh tactical squads i can use the dreadnought and i'm tim tim what's the other what's the what's the uh opposite and assault on black reach is space marines and what else that's orcs it's it's orcs lavelle which 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 leads me to my next point i think i'm going to build an orc army next whoa yeah i had so much fun painting the iron jaws for uh shadespire that i think i might do an orc army next 
So I have that sitting on my table now. So oh, because I remember you saying the other day that you were building an Iron Jaws army, but you're actually going to build like a 40k orc army. Well, that's the next thing in the notes here we're going to talk about because I am going to build an AOS Iron Jaws army too. Oh, I found okay. I found myself drawn into this malign portents campaign website, and I started reading over it, and I said, you know, this looks kind of cool. This sounds like it would be fun. So it's a it starts off, you know, it's a um. What do you call it? A progression campaign. What's what's the word for it? A uh, escalation league kind of a thing, where you start off with the start collecting box, and then I think in March they have these characters, you know, little one model uh, characters that they're releasing for each of the forces. So you get that, you paint that, and then you enter it into painting competitions, and you play a little bit. And I think it'll be a good way for me to get into AOS. And I've been talking about doing Iron Jaws for a while. How much do you have to paint weekly? One model? No, it's, I, it, it starts off with just the start collecting box, and I think you do that before the end of February or something, and then after that, you get the character, and then you add, like, a unit every month or something like that. It's not, it's not crazy. It's not, like, a, it's not every week. But I really like the website. I like some of the writing that I found there, and the new character models look cool. The, um, the Iron Jaws compatible character model you buy for the campaign is this Gretchen, and he's, uh, He's eaten so many psychedelic mushrooms that he has mushrooms like coming out of the top of his head. And side note, you know, orcs are mushrooms. So he's like, he's like tripping out and seeing visions of war. So he's, he's, he's a really cool looking model. So I'm looking forward to getting that and I'll paint him up. Is that what happens when you, uh, result of cannibalism? That's you, when you eat yourself, yeah. you see visions of war, Carlo. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Tim. Yeah. I have a huge lizard man army. Let's get it on the table, it's, man. The only problem I haven't I've been thinking about converting it to to AOS. Yeah. You know, that just involves me switching out the basis. I just haven't gone through the trouble. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do about that. I played you know, I played a couple of games of AOS last year. I really liked it. Um I borrowed uh, an undead army and I think I played uh Sigmarines. I liked it. I don't know anything about the world until I started reading into the Malign important stuff and then I you know, just started browsing around and reading some stuff and I'll get the rule book and read through that and I'm into it. I'll try it. You know, I'll get the start collecting box. And I picked up the um, what do you call it? The uh, the weird knob, shaman's warband thing. He's like this. He's got his arms above his head and he's casting spells. He's got like these other guys behind him. So, I'll build that and the start collecting box at least, so I can get a couple of games in. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. The only thing can stopping me is converting my bases. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun. I also re-upped on um. Horus Heresy novels. I don't know what number I'm up to, but I needed War Without End, Pharos, and I forget the third, but they just came today. So I'm looking forward to diving back into the Heresy. You know, I should mention that I played in the annual Page APOC game. We run an APOC game as close to the first of the year every year. It's always huge. For the first time, it's, it's always been a page event and uh, here in Philadelphia, and we, it's always been private, invitation only. We, for the first time, we running at Red Caps was a game changer for us because we were able to realign all their tables, and it was just amazing because between each table, we had a two-by-four bridge. Ooh. And the bridges allowed units to move from table to table. And each bridge was a strategic point. So it was an objective. Now, flying units could fly from table to table. Units could shoot from table to table if they had the range. And deep striking units could deep strike from table to table. It was That's crazy. Sick. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. Now, let me say this. There is a tile unit that I had never seen before. 
that can deploy and then jump off the table and it spins a turn up in the air and then drop down anyplace else. And the way they do it is they do uh, order versus discord. And so all of the Imperial was on the order side and the discord is everybody else. And so the tile was on their side and I played my custodies army. I played a huge, or every custodies piece, my sisters of silence, my Celestine, my um, great facts, and my two of my um, Imperial Knights, my castigators. I was smashing the Tyranids on my side and they needed some help. That tile unit came over there with the flamers and wrecked face. Nice. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome because I had just never experienced that because it hits, you know, flamers. It was, it was just awesome. <laughs> um, we ended up winning, ordered win. But listen, Joe, they've been doing this for years, mm-hmm. for years. They have it. We, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess there were 25,000 points on each side. We started at, I guess, noon, maybe 11 o'clock, and we ended at 8. And they kept, they have a way that they keep the turns moving, the way that they account points and everything. It was really, really good. Now, I do want to say this. They have a personal objective that they made for me. Three years ago, I had an Imperial Army, and that Imperial Army was um, um, Krieg. Mm-hmm. And I had a Crassus, a Crassus Armored Transport. I had 35 Kriegsmen in that Crassus Transport. <laughs> oh, boy. Turn one, they came across the field and they wrecked it, and all thirty-five men in there died. <laughs> oh, they got no. no! Turn one, they wrecked the crashes and everybody died. No! And they, one of the players made a little monument with the creeks <laughs> reaching up there, and it said, "We did our best." <laughs> and now, and every game, that's my personal like because every my, every player gets their own personal objective. They, that's the personal objective I have to use. That's great. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> but it was really, really good, and it flowed really, really good. And what happens is, everybody's all over the board, and because you could have units anywhere, mm-hmm. people on your side says, "I'm rolling for you. I'm rolling your, def- I'm rolling your saves. Okay, roll for me." And then we're passing data sheets around. It runs really, really smoothly, and you never feel like you're waiting, because that's a big, that's a big game. That's a really, really big game. And so you're moving your units and everything is moving really, really. Jake, who's a Tyranid player, Jake is saying, where am I dropping this in? We need that over here. And so his units can be anywhere along this huge board. Because I think we've got like six tables with all of these (laughs) boards connected. And it was really, really good. And we're like, hey, everybody has a warlord and we have a supreme commander. Sweet. And every warlord things and everybody has so many tactics and you bid time for deployment it was really really good i never missed the apoc game so this is what happens this is how my life goes i played the apoc game right now right now i start determining what army i'm going to play in the apoc game nice right now nice and then i start building and planning that army and start and that army might not have anything to do with whatever I'm playing throughout the year. Sure, something different. Start, yeah. I, this one, so it's cool. I start collecting for that APOC game. Did anybody bring any Titans or any big um, vehicles or anything? Yes. Generally, we, they figure out the number of players. We pick a Supreme Warlord, and they pick a Supreme Warlord. Sure. And then we determine the players, and then we decide. Generally, what happens is every player is going to bring four or 5,000 points, and then each side negotiates the number of Titans. 
Hmm. And so what will happen is they'll say, well, we, we have four Titans. We have so many Titans. And we used to say we want to track super heavies, but now with the point spread, the super heavies can all kind of come out in the mix. But So we don't have to worry about super heavies. But Titans, I think there were four Titans on the table. Gotcha. And in the past, we've had more than that. Gotcha. In one game, let me just say this. In one game, there's a guy, he comes, um, I think he either, I think he comes as far, he comes from Ohio and he has a guard army and he has a parking lot. Yeah. That's exactly what he had. And he had a parking lot and this parking lot was just pummeling them. And that seemed like a great idea until two Lord of Skulls got into his back line and that parking lot was just done. He, they, they, they just was rolling through the mouse. And we was like, oh, awesome. he's not going to be any good. Awesome. <laughs> he's not going to be any good. <laughs> it, it's really, really a fun time. The thing that amazes me more than everything, anything, a couple of our shots ended up on the Bella Lost Souls and a couple of the other sites. Uh, and um, I, I, I got to find the link. Joe should have it up on Rocket Ship Game and a couple of other places. Lots of great pictures. A couple of things that's really, really good about it that more than anything else. It's 40K. That's great. It's a lot of guys. We're having a great time, great fun. But the thing about it more than anything else, you get to play in the APOC game that's very, very organized. So it moves because all the turns are time. Hey, you got this much time. You got this much time. But you know what? It never comes down to time running out. When we were in Joe's basement, and Joe's basement was huge, and it was all we had a monitor on the screen on the wall, and we could see where everybody was and how many. In one game, I played the Necron, and as always, the, turn one, they jumped up and they proceeded to punch me in the face repeatedly. <laughs> and everybody else was like, all the other cast players were like, "You got it. You're okay. You're okay. You're going to reanimate." And that game, we won. Discord won that game for one reason only. Um, um, his name escapes me right now. He has a drop pod, a chaos drop pod, and they didn't account for one thing: the drop pod could move. Ooh, yeah. Warren, it was Warren, and and the last turn, he they they just they, they didn't discount. He moved the drop pod and took the objective. Uh, that shit <laughs> went. That's great. He was like, I got this, I got this, I got this. That's, great. He, he moved drop pod. That's like the first time a drop pod's ever done anything, right? <laughs> so, you know, all of the games are really, really good. And, you know, you get special objectives, you get special things. And, you know, you, oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got all this negotiating. It was really, really good. It's the one event, I think, and, and I think we've been running for maybe five, six years. It's the one event. I think it's only been one year because I was terribly sick that I missed. But I never missed the Page APOC game. It's great. One last thing about that APOC game. 35 of the Emperor's Finest was lost. <laughs> Turn one. Pollen, pollen, pollen. I had a special rule that said if the entire platoon was wiped out, I could bring them back on. <laughs> I had to deploy them. One unit of that platoon was not in there oh okay it was yeah. not, and so what happened was they left that last unit alone so i could not bring them back on <laughs> it was horrible it was a horrible tragedy that's great so prior to the apoc the day before um same guys uh joe ran uh recon squad games which you're able to earn points for either team for the APOC game. Oh. So you play like, it's like a squad based. You only have 
like a dozen models at the table on the table max, you know. I think it's twenty is what you're allowed if you're gonna play something like Cowboy Warriors or whatever, something like a low cost. But um I played Space Wolves for it, so it was Imperium versus it was Order versus uh Discord, right? So we had about six or I think it was six guys for it. Um and it was really fun. Like he Joe ha- has a bunch of different missions for it. It was before this is a rule set he had come out with before the kill team rules had come out a couple years ago. It's interesting. You get to pick a leader, right? And then three other guys on your team and all four of those guys get a special rule you can assign to them. So for instance, one, one of the special rules is forward observer, right? So if this uh, model moves, but doesn't advance, it can, in its shooting phase, instead of shooting, mark a model for that turn and then Everything else can reroll hits against it. All of your models on the board, you have to build them in units, but once they hit the board, they're all individuals, so you deploy them one at a time. You can move them wherever. Yeah. Exactly. So, like the first game, I went up against Colin, uh, and he was playing his Fallen, and we we actually played on that really cool Zor- Zone Mortalis board. Nice. Are we ever there? I think I watched you play a couple games on that for the league, right? Um, Yep, so uh, I had to fight my way through those halls, and that was a little bit difficult. It ended up being like a really fun game. Um, and then after that, I played Jake and his Tyranids, and that was a really cool setup because the mission we had rolled for was, I think I was the defender, and I had to set up in the 12-inch, like in 6 inches of either side of the board center line, basically, like the 12 inches in the middle of the board. And then he got to set up on... Both his deployment zone were both board edges, so it ended up being like like the Tyranids were swarming the Space Wolves. I had to kind of fight them off, so it was pretty cool. How many how many games did you get in, and how long was the day? So we got in. I think we started the day late for a weekend event. It was like one o'clock. We started, which is what it was scheduled for, and we got about three games in. So each game took about an hour, an hour and a half, which is a little bit longer than they normally take. But um, we got into some pretty like some of the guys got in some pretty crazy firefights, and uh, that was uh, the day I learned that Tyranids have some pretty scary weapons. Because um, I think there's another Tyranid player I went up against, and he had some. Uh, it was like a strength eight, AP minus two, damage one or two, and it doesn't need line of sight, like ignores line of sight kind of a thing. Weapon. That's the hive so, guard. Yeah, exactly. It was a hive guard weapon. Yeah. And they, so, they, can park them, they can park them back anywhere, and they can just shoot. Yeah, that thing was hard to go up against because it was... Uh, I think it has, like, D3 shots, too, doesn't it, Lavelle? It was something crazy. Yep. And they come in units of threes, ultimately, when you're playing them in a regular game. And I yeah, think he, they might have they might have three, two or three wounds each. They were tough to put down, for sure. But yeah, it was pretty fun. It was a good uh, lead up. I, I, like I wasn't able to make it to the APOC game, but it still felt like I was kind of involved in it. So it was a fun little. You were participating, yeah. And it must yeah. it must have been nice for the guys who were traveling the far distance. They could play. Did some guys play both days? Yeah, I think a, I think two of the guys that had traveled from at West. And, and when you and what happens when you arrive for the APOC game, you know that well, you know they'll tell you that the what what. What benefits accrue to the other team because of it? Gotcha. Cool. We're going to return after a short break with a new section called Surprise, Surprise. We'll be back.
Crew Shaken, episode 11, first of the second season. Surprise, surprise. This new section, what has surprised us during recent games? I'm trying to talk about stuff that happens over the course of a game that you didn't expect. There's always something. There's always something you learn from a game, right? So this is a section about what surprised. It could also be called what I learned from my last game, that kind of thing. I'll start us off. A good example of this, I think, I played um, an all-demon army. I played Jason with his demons. All demons this time. One, a one-codex army. He had, it was all Nurgle stuff, but he brought these uh, Zinch Screamers, which are models that I had seen but had never played against. And I think he had, might have been ten Screamers, a ton of attacks, a couple of wounds each. If they fly over a model, then you roll for mortal wounds of the models they pass over, head of, which is pretty awesome. So what did I learn? What, what surprised me? I was surprised at how effective Screamers were at taking down my Storm Raven by turn two. I was surprised by the fact that these little stingray-looking bug dudes, they did probably 12 wounds on the Storm Raven turn one. And it was it was out of the sky by turn two. It was able to do well, a little bit of damage. But not stating. Yeah, it was pretty intense. It was pretty intense. I also flew the Storm Raven like directly forward on the table, which wasn't the best move. It was uh, we were using the open war deck, and we drew the card for deployment where um, you're looking at the table long ways. So one army is in the first third of the table, and the other the opponent's army is in the center rectangle against the far edge kind of hard to explain it's not good doesn't make good radio the hand gestures that i'm making right now but the deployment wasn't kind to me and i just i sent the storm raven right into the heart of the battle and the screamers are just able to come in and do a lot of damage which was a bummer but it, it really got me thinking about my list right this is even a bigger thing to learn and, and what surprised me my iron hands list is very heavy meaning there's not a lot of infantry there's no elites there's no bikes um so this is part of what prompted my purchase of that Black Reach box set. I need more tactical marines. I need terminators. And I think I'm going to get some jet bikes. I'm going to buy the Forge World, the three, the three pack of those grav bikes, you know, and turn them into some kind of like a tech marine on a bike. Because my tech marine can restore wounds, but I got to get him to the vehicles that he's going to restore the wounds of, right? So I want a more mobile tech marine, and I want two more. I want some fast attack guys that I can zoom around the board. So it has me kind of rethinking my list. Because sometimes, i gotta, I got to admit, I'm not lazy when it comes to painting an army, but I can be lazy when I'm putting together a list to bring to an army, to bring to a game. And I feel like, you know, Jason's a good player. I feel like I was, I didn't bring a very strong list against him, and I probably should have. It would have been more fun for both of us if I had had more options in front of me as opposed to just, I mean, I had a Laz Predator. I didn't move it the whole game because it was just taking shot at his um, great unclean one the whole time. You know, it just didn't make for a very interesting or dynamic game. So I think with some more infantry, I have Assault Marines I have to paint. Terminators now from the Black Reach box I'm put together, and another Dreadnought or two. I think I'll have a more dynamic and more fun list. I, I'm just tired. Of, I, I just can't be. I have to be less lazy about what I bring to a game. Do you know what I so mean? So what do Iron Hands get? What feel no pain? Yeah, right? they get a six they, of feel no they pain. get a six of feel no pain, and the captain gets an extra wound and feel no pain. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's great. Um, it's that, great. But the problem with my list is I have 15 tactical marines, and that's it on the board. Yeah. You, 
you need to get some more bodies out there. Yeah, man. I just need more. Yeah. Bo- I need more boots on the ground. You know, I have the Storm Raven, I have a Land Raider, I have a Vindicator, I have the Thunderfire Cannon, I have the two Predators. I got you know all that stuff is going on, but none of them are able to take advantage of the benefits of having that six up feel no pain. And if you're if you're up against an army that needs to be bogged down like that demon army kind of did, I need to put stuff in front of them to shoot. You know, your iron hands are being used to steer the vehicles, and that's it. You know. Yeah, like. exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I have all these transports. Like, I could fill that Storm Raven and fill the Land Raider, but I got nothing to put in them. You know, I got 15, or, how did I, how did I end up with 15 Tactical Marines, too? That's another question. I know I bought two boxes. Where did the other five go? I lost mm. five, I lost five Tactical Marines somewhere. I don't know where they went. Did you build them, or did they? You know, I, I honestly can't remember. I have no idea. But that's what I took away from my last game against Jason. So I got I got to get my act together and be less just less lazy when it comes to putting together a list. I got to kind of up my game a little bit when it comes to planning ahead and like getting ready for a game as opposed to just just bringing stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if it's lazy as much as like that's the style you've been accustomed to for a while with that army. Because um, I think like when you were playing Admech, you had a, a pretty decent amount of bodies, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then like your goal switching to the Iron Hand was like, oh, I want this beefy. Like stoic, yep. you know, um, army that can kind of just take a lot of wounds, basically. You know, it's true. It's um, true, and it, it it is a tough army. There was a lot left on the table at the end of the game, but it was just it wasn't it was it was it was slow. It was heavy. It just felt that just wasn't very dynamic. You know, I just couldn't get anywhere. So I, th- I think to address that, I'm going to just put some more bodies on the on the ground. Yeah, I'm going to change how I use that army. I'm going to make that army try to feel a little bit more. Uh, Interesting. What about you all for surprise, surprise? What can you add to our conversation, Carlo? You know, I haven't gotten a chance to play much lately, but I've been reading a little bit. And I saw an FAQ the other day that was uh, interesting to me. So since since the Demon Codex had come out, I guess people were deep striking Mortarian and Magnus because the, the rule on one of the stratagems was a little vague. It, it was like, you know, deep strike a demon character and they have the demon keyword in their profile, but it's not the faction keyword. And they had fact it uh, afterwards to say that, you know, you cannot do this with these models, basically. Like it's for demon faction keyword only. But gotcha. people were deep. That, that has got to be the scariest thing to see in your back line. I'm kind of glad I wasn't playing for that period of time where that was happening. <laughs> Heck yeah. It's not like it's not like Magnus needed more mobility. Wow. Right. Right. Yeah, like I could see Mortarian dropping down in your back line with Fly and just like, you know, fly up to that building and crushes um, long fangs up there and then fly down and wreck your dreadnought in the back line. And like, man, that would be extremely devastating. I think he's got some sort of thing where he's like, whenever he starts a fight phase, if he's within a certain range, he causes mortal wounds. So wow. that would be devastating. Yep. yep. I haven't played against Mortarian yet. I have. I've played against both of those Primarchs. Mortarian, uh, pretty badass? Both of them are, are pretty problematic. Yeah, Magnus is definitely problematic. Yeah. Mortarian is too. You I can deal even- with them, but in order to be successful against them, you have to know what they're going to do. And exactly how they work. And you have to specifically have a plan to deal with them. Yeah, don't don't wait till you're face to face with them. And the fact that their characters make can make it really, really hard. Now, now three Vindicators, 
really helps your problem. <laughs> three Vindicators, you know, not too many pro- not too many Primark problems you can't solve with three. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're over ten wounds, right? So you can shoot at them. You can. Like, you can target them. Mm. So they do have a good invulnerable save. Right. That's true. Let me talk about two surprises. Yeah. You know, I was playing a Necron player. Yes, I was playing a Necron player. Mm. I wasn't. Didn't have my Necron army. And a couple of things happened, and I guess it could happen with anything. Now, do you know that um, there's a piece of terrain? I think it's like a um, it's it's like a citadel. It's like a um, I can't remember what it's called. It's a, a Space Marine citadel. It's like a tall tower. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the uh, is that the Dark Angels one? Yes, that's the one. Oh God, what's that called? Uh, uh, I'll come back with it later. Okay. So what he did was he took the Doomsday, the, the long firing thing. Right, not the ghost one, but whichever one, and it's a flyer. It's it, or rather, it's a skimmer. It has the fly keyword, and he parked it up there, so it couldn't be assaulted. And he did, and it, by the rules, that's you know, it has the fly keyword. It can ignore terrain, but it couldn't be assaulted. And I just never, you know, was it's not a flyer, and I just never really considered that. And all the times that I used it. Interesting. So it doesn't have to move every turn, in other words. You can just let it sit. That's right. And it could sit up there. Nobody could assault it. And, you know, since it's up there and it's got that big cannon, it's, and since it doesn't move every turn, it gets to use that big profile where it was wrecking things. And that cannon is so big, it can wreck a, it can wreck a tank. Right. And so that was the big problem. And I just – that surprised me that I, – I guess it surprised me – and a couple of turns because it made me think, why didn't I never think of that? And I just it just seemed a little cheesy, but it was it was fair. You know, a flyer, you kind of expect that, but there's no way to charge it because that is too tall. I think normally what we do in at least at Red Caps is declare like any sort of terrain like that that's really impossible to get to is basically it's like a six inch charge or something. So now that like, was the other thing. That was the other thing. I've been to a couple of places and so what is it? Is the inches the inches? I think it I mean it depends it's definitely house rule. You know what I mean? So you gotta that's something you have to talk about before the start of the game. And was this during the APOC you're saying? No, no, no. I've been I I this account happened in the tournament and it happened when I was playing someplace else too. Uh, okay. So, so especially yeah, you, when you're measuring like when you like for one, at one point he was three levels up. I'm measuring. And I'm thinking, well, okay, what's going on here? Is the inches the inches in my rapid fire? They were saying, well, you know, each level is this, and I was like, hold on, hold on, where where are you getting that from? I think there's got to be some sort of rule for, you know, there's obviously a door on that thing, so you should be able to walk up it, right? So. Yep. Like, you gotta have to kind of measure, like, okay, so each turn, even if you're taking into account the full distance, you say, okay, so each turn I move up six inches within side of this tower. Where's Can your model you gonna me? stand? Hold on. Right. Where's your model gonna stand? You kind of have to take the model off the table and say, okay, it's in there. You know what I mean? So I just looked up a piece of terrain. That's the Fortress of Redemption, Lavelle, I think. Okay. Yes, that's it's, right. It's the tallest one. It's got like the uh, the Grim Reaper with wings, kind of on all four sides of it, and it's got the lookout tower kind of thing on the bottom, and like a little bit of a defense wall coming out and around the side of it. Yeah, I think it's important to define if you can get if if you're going to be able to put models on top, then how is your opponent going to be able to get up in there to attack those models? I think you have to define that ahead of the game. I don't think it's right that you couldn't get up there. Do you know what I mean? I also think if right. you can't if you can't park the model on top, then it can't be on top. 
right on top of there, there is enough space to park this model, this Necron model. It doesn't have like a big flyer base. Gotcha. It has this small circle of flyer base. Gotcha. I'm looking up this. I'm, I'm going to find this model too. Hang on. You know what? I, I also am surprised. And, you know, you can't do anything about it because you're in it. You're in the game right now. I like it when I'm playing with somebody and when they're like, okay, you know what? We're at a place now. Okay. We, we, we both agree. We did not discuss this. Okay. So we need to reach a decision that we both find amenable as opposed to, oh, no, this is how we play it at our store. Sure. Sure. It has to be a point of conversation. It can't just be a, a moot point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But no, unfortunately, people, you know, well, hey, guess what? We are, you know, hundreds of miles away from your store. Hey, you know what? I'm looking at the um, the armies, and there are no neck. Oh, I was going to say there are no necrons. Did you take the necrons down? Dun dun dun! <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! Awesome. I'm sorry. It is called the Doomsday Arc. It is the Doomsday Arc. Okay, it is the Doomsday Arc. And that big gun, that big gun on it, when it doesn't move, is pretty devastating. And it has the same circular base actually that you put on a destroyer. Yeah. So theoretically, it can fit up there. Yeah. All right. right, I see your point. So that yeah. that whole that whole piece went on top of the fortress of a redemption, which is pretty tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like mm, okay. And That's a little jump. crazy. Yeah, I call shenanigans on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. The fortress rules. The fortress itself normally has its own set of rules where you can shoot at the fortress, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But when sure. you just bring it out as a piece of terrain, it's just a piece of terrain. Good note to really clarify those terrain rules ahead of time is really it's really important, or else you find yourself in that situation where you're you know you're a little bit deflated because you have this doomsday arc sitting up there or something like it, and you can't get up there to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask a question. I, this is a line of sight question. The new rule says if you can see any part of the model, you can shoot at the model. Am I mis? Did, am, am I mixing rules for an, another game? Is there is there a statement in the rules that say they're talking about the body of the model, not necessarily like if you can see a sword, a piece of the sword, or is there a clarification like that? Let's see. I got the rule book right here. I, I thought it was. I thought there was some clarification that said because we don't want to penalize people for being artistic in their modeling. They're talking about the body of the model. I thought there was a rule. I know that there's – I'm pretty certain there is a rule that clarified that for vehicles, certainly. Where uh, Right, like the, like the turret is not considered a the part of the model. Yeah. Right, like the, it's only the hull. Right. So, I mean, when in doubt, just think about what makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like if you shoot right. at somebody's sword, is it going to kill them? Right, right. No. That came up in our in our game at Burks, and I was saying, you know what? The guys we were playing, I said, you know, you guys are pretty reasonable. Can you see a reasonable part of the body? I'm not talking about the sword, the halberd. Can you see any part of the head? And he said, I can see a little bit of the plume because, you know, our guys got the plume. I said, you know, that's enough. That's part of the body. That's opposed to sword sticking out or tip of the shield. If you can see part of the body, take a shot. I think it was smart on your part to say reasonable part of the body. And then right. they, they kind of defined for themselves what that was, yeah. If you're As long as you're consistent on your side of the table, sure. that's fine. Cons- consistency is everything. Because if you're going to define the plume, when I am shooting at you, if I can see part of your raptor's wings, I'm right. getting you. The surprises that I mentioned, they really come from not pausing at the beginning of the game. If you pause at the beginning of the game and have these reasonable discussions, they prevent these this kind of thing. I think that's a great point. I think 
part of the problem I had in my last game was I rushed deployment because we started kind of late. You know, we started at 7, 7.30, wanted to get it done by 10. So I think defining things at the beginning of the game and taking taking your time at the beginning of the game to kind of set up your strategy and get your mind right around what you're going to try to do is really important to being to having fun and to being a you know an opponent worth playing. I think. So I couldn't find anything in the fact, but I did find in the rule book that it just says any part of the model. Any part of the so model should be this, there. Yeah, okay. if, if okay. Uh, unsure, stoop down and get a look from behind the shooting model to see if any part of the target is visible. There you go. So. All right. Any part is any part. Yeah. Any part is any part. Cool. I'll be able to clarify that. And you can see through models in your in its own unit. So but if you, you have like a squad, space yes, marines. But you can't see through models not in your unit. Correct. Because I had that come up. came up with a conversation. They said, "Okay, we can see through models." I said, "Why do you think I park my Land Raider there? You can't see through my Land Raider. <laughs> That's why yes. I park there." Just models of your own unit, not even like own army, just own unit. So if you have a squad of space, like tactical marines, you know they can see through each other, but they can't see through the other squad attack marines. That's you know two inches up the board or whatever. Awesome! I hope you, our listeners, got something out of the surprise surprise section. I think we'll keep doing that because I I think trying to pick out those things that are new in every game is smart and it gives us, it causes us to pause and reflect on those new moments. And hopefully uh, you find that there are new moments in all of your games as well that you find surprising. If you think of any, shoot them to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash crew shaken or on Instagram at crew shaken. Something that's near and dear to all of our hearts is getting new players into the game, building a community of players, always getting new folks to step up to the table, as it were. Um, So we have this new section called Welcome Scouts. This is all about the new player. So in this section, we're going to try to, uh, every month, uh, pick out something about the hobby that might be of use to somebody who is maybe just getting into it, maybe listening to this or this or any other Warhammer podcast for the first time in search of some kind of tip or trick that will uh, help them have an easier time into this uh, into this world that we all enjoy so much. So for the first Welcome Scouts section here in episode 11, I wanted to talk about something that just came up um, right after the holiday for me, which was introducing somebody to the game via the First Strike boxed set, which is Primaris Marines versus Death Guard. I had bought this set for a friend's son. Uh, he's 13. Um, he uh, has played a little bit of D&D. He's really into video games, you know, loves Overwatch and has never, you know, likes board games every now and again, but is pretty much a video game guy. I wanted to get him something different, something that might uh, catch his eye and get him playing different kind of social gameplay, you know. Give him the First Strike box set, which has, you get three uh, Death Guard Marines and you get a handful of um, Poxwalkers. 
And then you get uh, four, I believe, uh, Primaris Marines or five Primaris Marines, something like that. It's cool because the whole thing fits into this great tiny box. It's got a very nice little rule book. It's got big kind of uh, like half-sheet-sized cards almost with all the stats and the, the special rules for each model on them. So you can kind of put them at the table while you're playing. It comes with a, a, a paper mat you put down, and the box becomes a piece of terrain. It looks like the uh, armored crates. And so you flip the box over, and there's this piece of terrain on the board. Really cool. But it is still a bit overwhelming, I found. Because here you are opening this box for the first time, and I'm even, you know, I'm giving them a little bit of the background of the universe. You know, we're talking about the Emperor, we're talking about chaos, we're trying to get his mind around what's trying to set the stage a little bit, you know. But it's still quite a bit, especially coming from video games, where you just kind of start, you know, you, you, you move the mouse around and you start clicking buttons and stuff starts happening. I think it, it involved like a narrative kind of imagination leap that was difficult to, to, to make. It was a difficult jump to take, I think. So my question to you both is, how do you make that first game of 40K not overwhelming? And for a player who's listening, what, what should they be prepared for, you think, in their first couple of games? How do you, how do you start the, how do you get that moving in a good direction right from the get-go? Okay, I want to jump right in here and say, if you can hear the sound of my voice, under no conditions do you start with Necrons. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Rule number one, Lavelle says, no Necrons. Don't start with Necrons. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there are some races, some factions that are too complex to start with. I, that's the first thing I want to say. There are some races that are easier to start with. Now, uh, here's what I think. I don't like any of these box sets for starting to play. Where they give you two factions, I don't like it. Not unless you and a friend are jumping in. Right, unless you have somebody to, to dive into it with, yes. Right. I kind of believe, and you guys, please, let's debate this. I believe if you are going to be starting this, the best place to start is the basic rule book. If you pick up the basic rule book and just read, because the basic rule book is still a great read. It is. If you just read and just learn about the universe, you can go to mostly any game store and pick up a game right. without any models. And if you read it, you can get a flavor. I like this or I don't like this. I think you need to do that and play a couple of games. And get a feel for what you like. Because starting to collect is different from starting to play. That's a good yeah. point, Lavelle. That's a great That's point. A really good yeah. point. What better way to find yourself getting the book and then going to your local store and finding out what night people play the game and going down there and say, hey, listen, I'm, you know, can I try something out that you guys have? What a great introduction to the community mm -hmm. aspect of it, too. Because that puts you right from the get-go in the fold with the community of players who are trying to build, you know, trying to get more players to play the game. Let me tell you three people that I got started in 40K. Two people that I got started the wrong way and one person I got started the right way. Those three people are Justin and Akil, my sons, the wrong way, and Joe. And you know what Joe did? I think Joe borrowed my books. Joe read the books and Joe started building his collection. Joe actually started we read the books, and Joe started playing. He may have played with a couple of my models, and Joe started playing, and Joe decided which faction he wanted. 
He decided he was going to be a space marine, and he decided he was going to be a salamander, and he decided he was going to build his own faction, his own chapter, the Kingbreakers. And he started from there, and he just started slowly building just like that. With Justin and kill, I said, hey, here's one, take this. Here's one, take this. None of them are playing those factions now. Why do you think that is? Because it's overwhelming? Because it's too much to deal with right out the gate? Because I said, here's a faction. It'll be great. Play it. Gotcha. Okay. Because they didn't, they they got- they didn't have the chance to choose – the That's flavor right. that they liked. Yeah. I said, here's Tal. Nobody's playing Tal, Akil. You'll love this. Justin, here's – nobody's playing Eldar. You'll love this. Sure. But Justin found his – Justin decided he was a space wolf. Once you get into the lore, you find this – something will speak to you. What will happen is, you know, you know, everything speaks to me, so don't listen to me. But, <laughs> you know, I think the best thing to happen is when you get into the basic rule book, you'll learn about the universe. You'll learn about what's happening. You'll say, hey, you'll identify with something. You might, you know – that's what happens. But getting to play, uh, learning, starting to collect is a big move. And I feel like the best way to start is you get one of those star collecting boxes and you start adding from there. But for a young person getting into it, I, I think I think I think the rule book might have been a better purchase because that way you're getting the you're getting the flavor of a little bit of everything before you walk into the store and say, I want to try that. Let me tell you about an experience I had. I was in Showcase Comics in Bryn Mawr. It was around Christmas time. And this poor mother came in. And she said, um, she said, um, she she was going around the shelves and she was just picking stuff up. And I was just watching her. And it was amazing to watch. She started taking all of this stuff up to the counter. And she said, um, this is, this is for Christmas. It's a gift for my son, Michael. And and the guy at the counter, he's a nice guy. I know him. I can't remember his name. He said, okay, hold, hold on. Your son is Michael? He said, Michael likes this. Let me tell you what to start him with. And he walked her <laughs> around, and he told her what to start her with. He said, you know, he said, this is going to be expensive. So don't go buy all of this. Don't just buy him this, 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 and this. This is enough for him to start with. Right. And just buy him this basic paint set and this basic stuff right here. Let him do this. And when he does this, then you can talk about buying them more. This is more than enough to get him started. And she used the guidance of this guy to tell him this is, this is enough. He can play mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. This is all he can play with right now. He's not a 2,000-point guy. Right. He right. needs 750 points. This is his level right here. Carlo, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about getting a new player into the game? You know, I think it's, like Lavelle said, really important to kind of get an idea of what you think is – kind of change his, rule, his words around, but what you think is cool, right? So – Find, get the rule book, read the lore a little bit, figure out what your favorite faction is and what you want to play. And I, I think the best place to start is to kind of pick out the meat and potatoes of your army, right? Or what you think is the coolest, right? If you're playing Space Marines, it's always important to play, like, build a, paint a tactical squad. Probably going to want one in most armies. And they come in the start, most of the start collecting boxes. So, and that's the really great thing about those start collecting boxes because they come with a character, they come with you know a dozen space marines, and they come with like a fast attack option or a dreadnought or something, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they give you, you know, the meat and potatoes guys. They give you a super cool character to paint, and they give you uh, a pretty cool uh, support model. I think it's really also really a good idea. Like I've been trying to catch up since we started this podcast. I try to catch up on a little bit more of the lore, and as I'm reading into the lore a little bit more, I start to like fantasize about, oh man, I you know, it would have been great to give my characters a little bit more personality when I painted them. I wish I had this in mind when I 
like built and painted this model up uh, because it would really been, would have been a great way to address the game um, and say like, hey, I've got, I think I had read Prospero Burns at the time and I really wanted to make like an Ada Hale Wolf model or mm-hmm. like a Long Fang model, like the, the guy that's the Rim Priest. Pick a squad, you know, give them, give them some names uh and invent your own little storyline behind them and you know watch them uh watch them tear up some enemies you know and i think it's a really good idea to play low point games for even after you know even after you've amassed this 2000 point army it's always good to go back and play uh smaller games cuz it, it keeps it light it keeps it fun and a lot of times the 2000 point games can kind of weigh us down so much where we stop appreciating uh, the game a little bit Welcome to Future History, a section of the Crew Shaken podcast where we dive into the narrative side, the fluff, the story of the 41st millennium, the comings and goings of the Imperium and its enemies. This month, episode 11, I want to talk about Necron dynasties. In particular, a little bit of a focus on the Mainark dynasty. But first, we're going to kind of back it up a little bit. Before we zoom in, let's take a look at the Necrons holistically. Because when you talk about Necrons, you're talking about the some of the earliest beginnings of the galaxy as we know it. Well, this is old school when you talk about Necrons and the folks that they came from. So I know, Lavelle, this is a topic near and dear to your heart. You've been playing Necrons for a long time. But let me let, let me get us started on the story of how the Necron tier became the Necrons. But do jump in um, and stop me when I make a mistake, because I bet you that I will. So the Necrons, as we know them, were originally the Necron tier. This was a spacefaring civilization. They inhabited the Halo stars, which were the uh, stars around the outside of the Milky Way galaxy. This is billions of years before humanity. They're the, the sun of their system, their main sun, was like super radioactive. So despite the fact that it was possible for, for life to evolve in their home system, the sun, the nature of their sun, the environment that it created, made life extremely short and super painful for these folks. So these limited, you know, the fact that they didn't live very long, being, you know, irradiated from since birth, they they tended to embrace death as a release from the pain of living. Which means how badass your afterlife was going to be would be determined by how useful, how productive, how successful you were while you were alive. Which means they really condensed a lot of activity into these shortened lifespans, right? They really pushed themselves during their short lives. And all that pushing, all that focused energy, all that I'm going to have a badass life because I want to have a badass afterlife led to a very rapid uh, technological evolution, technological advancement. So they become a spacefaring race. They want to get away from this poisonous sun. They know enough to say, all right, 
we can take to the stars. Let's leave this one behind. Problem was they're moving at subwarp speeds. So their crews, you know, limited lifespan again, they're not going to survive the journey to get to a new home world, right? Take too long to get there. So what they do? They use stasis fields. Time slows in those stasis fields. So in order to prolong their lives, they basically created these kind of stasis crypt ships that they could send out into space and hope that it would find that next, you know, find that next home world for, for the Necron tier. Now, when the Necron tier in this state, when they were the Necron tier, were they flesh bodies or were they steel? They were flesh, but let, let me jump in here. So the Necrons during this time, they were masters of a couple of things. They had achieved technological advancements and metallurgy, astronomy and temporal mechanics. Those were their three areas of expertise. And later on, we see those areas of expertise expand and the technology that they use. So a couple of these ships made it to habitable planets. So you had a couple of disparate Necron-tier, um, what should we call them, uh, colonies, right? These colonies came to be led by these dynasties that were just basically hatched out of the necessity for some kind of leadership structure when these tomb ships full of slow-moving, sleeping folks came to these habitable worlds, right? So if you send a, you know, send a dozen of these ships out, four of them find habitable planets, the rest of them disappear, you got four different dynasties that are kind of, I'm just picking the number four out of a hat for the time being, but, but you get the point that uh, a, uh, a hierarchy, an almost feudal hierarchy developed on these new Necron-tier colonies when they found a, a successful homeworld. You know, a lot of people, they, they, when they talk about the Necron dynasty, as a Necron player, a lot of people talk about the Necrons as just simply mindless machines and as far from the truth. Even back then when they were in the Necron tier, they were ruled by a triarch. They had a very structured system in which they operated. And this rule gave them specific I'm sorry, this structure gave them specific rules with how they needed to interact with each other and as well as other races. And so when they encountered other races, when they interacted with each other, anybody that they saw as um, intellectual equals or developmental equals, they had to be treated a specific way. Anybody that was less than them, they could treat it any way they wanted to. And that was all enforced by the triarchs. At the seat of the triarchs were the three kings. At the seat, at the, the, the pinnacle of that was the silent king. The silent king was the first among equal. And so it was the silent king and two other kings that they never really named. And these three people led everything. And so what used to happen is that they encountered another race, take a look at that race and say, eh, they're animals. You can do whatever they want. Or hold on, these guys look like they're civilized, so you got to treat them fairly or in some civilized way. And that's how everything was established as they went out and they met these races. Now, in their travels, they did come across the old ones. The old ones were masters of biology and they were masters of the webway, of moving in and out of the immaterium. So the old ones had those two key advantages over them. And they met the old ones and they said, hey, you guys are pretty good at this biology how about you help us? Because, you know, we're dying. 
Because even though they had left their star, genetically, they carried the cancer or whatever it was that still did not allow them to live past their short lifespan. And the old, the old one said, eh, no, nah, we're good. The Silent Kings were kind of, but they were trying to cure their race of this short lifespan. There's only right? one Silent King. In their society, they have these, they, everybody has a role, but they have almost like the Mechanicus, they have a cult-like group of people who were their scientists, who were their cryptex. The cryptex who are working on their biology, just they just can't cure them. So they so they they meet the old ones. They were seeking a solution. They were seeking the medical technology, the biology, the biological technology, if you will, of the old ones. But the old ones weren't interested in sharing. Yeah, they said, nah, we're good. And so, you know, they couldn't fight the old ones because the rules didn't allow them to. So they went on about their business. Now, as their as their dynasties continued to expand and they, they came in a conflict with some races that they encountered and the old ones were doing their thing wherever they were and they weren't fighting the old ones and the dynasties started fighting amongst themselves. They're still moving around. They're right. still conquering. And they, they got all this stuff going on and the, and the, the silent king and the triarch said, look, we are fighting amongst ourselves. This is not – we need to unify ourselves or else we're going to kill ourselves off. And they say, hey, what about them guys that we met that had that, that, that could cure us that didn't? We need to rally everybody and go kick those guys' butts. Yeah, what a better way to rally a civilization than to have a, right. common, a common enemy. Yeah, so let's all go over there and do that. And they said, yeah, yeah. And they said, the silent king said, that we're going to suspend the rules and we're going to go fight those guys. And that's what they did. Thus began the war in heaven, and they promptly lost. But what they did was the old ones beat them all back to their original place. They beat them all the way back. And it was like, look, after they beat them back to their original place, they said, now you guys stay there. And they was like, oh, we are. We have been crushed. They lost everything. So all so, the, so all of these Necron colonies, these dynasties were reconsolidated kind of during this war in heaven to return back to that original home world. The, the original home systems. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Right. And so they're all in their home systems. It's like, oh, man, not only are we back here, we're still dying. We we have, we got nothing. Meanwhile, the cryptex have been observing, using their astronomy, they have been observing their sun. And what they noticed for the first time is the reason that they were dying is that there was something in their sun that was slowly eating their sun. And that radiation was actually what was killing them. And that thing was a Catan. And they realized that there was some intelligence involved in there. And they reached out to that intelligence. And that intelligence responded. That's when they met the deceiver. And the deceiver's like, hey, what the heck is this? And they like, hey, well, you know, we, we, you're kind of killing us. You know, you're killing us. And the deceiver, being the deceiver, says, oh, you know, I, I had no idea. But, you know, I can fix that. Not only that, I'm a, I can teach you how to beat these other guys because, you know, I know things about how everything works. I can give you even more knowledge. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Now, this is how it's going to work. You're going to just do this, and I'm going to give you these bodies, and these bodies aren't going to get – and you know what? When In the process, you're going to shed this excess energy. You're not going to have to worry about anything. But these bodies, and, going, you're, going to be, and you're going to use your metallurgy, and I'm going to help you do this. And they gave them all this knowledge, and they're like, this is fantastic. 
And then we're going to be able to beat these guys. And you're going to be able to phase in and out. And then, you, oh, it's going to be great. And they said yes. Now, somehow, they built these machines. And, you know, some of the, the, the people were like, hold on a second. We're going to give up our bodies? I, I, I don't think this is cool. Because the idea was these, uh, these, these living metal bodies that they were building with the help of the Catan, that, that's what would grant them longer lives, right? Right. Right. People are like, hold on a second. I'm not really digging this. The Silent King said, you know what? I'm going to solve some of my future problems, too. So what I'm going to do is all of the peasants, we're going to take away their free will in the process. All of the middle class, all of the upper class, I'll let you keep a degree of your free wills. Okay. And meanwhile, I want you cryptex to get to work on this new class of, of, of robots, the canoptics. To help us maintain and start building us some war machines. We're on it with this new knowledge that you get. We got you covered. And so that's what happened. And that's the difference between a warrior and the Lord. The Lord can think for himself to a degree. He still can be subverted by an overlord. And so that's that's how they started this whole process. But this is what he didn't know. For some somehow the deceiver reached out to other Catans. And said, hey, guess what, guys? Feeding feast over here. <laughs> and the other Catans came. And the other members of the Triarch forced everybody that didn't want to go through the process into the process. And the Catans just gorged on all of the energy that came through. So they were eating basically the souls. That's correct. Of the Necron tier during the process of them becoming the Necrons. And that's how they became even stronger. But in that process, as part of the process, they crafted these metal bodies for the Catans to come into. So now the Catans had the ability to interact with this physical world. And the old ones had no ability at all to deal with the Catans because the Catan had the raw power and knowledge of this physical world. And the old ones said, well, we need some help. And they started crafting these races. The first races they started crafting had the ability to fight, but that wasn't enough. So they started crafting people with psychic powers, but they didn't do it fast enough. And ultimately, they lost the war in heaven and left. Now, I'm going to give you some theory at this point. What happened was, you know, because the Necron nor the Catan could do anything dealing with psychic. The old ones had the ability to use the immaterium without creating an echo in the immaterium. So no psychic, no no chaos gods were spawned. But the races they created did not have that discipline. And that's why the more races they created, the more chaos gods began to leak out. And that's why ultimately they had chaos gods. So now the theory is the Necrons knew this. And that's why they began setting up these defenses against the chaos, the immaterium. They built the Dullum gates that held the rift at bay. They started all of these defenses. So now this is the theory that I also said. I'm going to get to, I'm going to get back to the, um, to the main art. They built the, at the end, he put everybody to sleep. Until a, a certain number, using astronomy, certain celestial events took place when they would begin to wake up. And those celestial events was suppo- is supposedly 
the breaking down of the uh, of the immaterium into here. And supposedly he left the galaxy in pursuit of the old ones. Now, what I also read as a theory is that the old ones left the galaxy and said, man, we screwed everything up, but we're going to fix this. We're going to create something that's going to come back, wipe the slates clean, and then come back and recreate it. And what they created was the Tyranid. Because the old, the, the old ones created the Eldar and the Orcs, right, to fight in the war in heaven, right? That's correct. And some other races that we don't know of. But the Tyranids, they block out the, um, the, um, the warp. And so now – and they, 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 they really don't kill. They just reduce everything to its basic DNA. Now, let's come back to my favorite people, the Maynard. So this was the deal with the Maynard. The Maynard didn't follow any of the rules. They did not care. The Maynard was like the bloody hand. They would go and they said, you, you got a problem? We're going to go and totally crush everything. They were – Barbaric. The problem was their results were always overwhelming. It was the mate. So when the Silent King realized he had a problem with these Catans, because the Catans are kicking all kinds of butts, the Silent King is watching them kick butts, and he's starting to realize, you know what? When these guys get finished kicking the old ones' butts, what are we going to do against them? This is a problem. So he quietly called the, the um, Cryptex together and said, what do we got to stop them? And the cryptex said, well, we got to come up with something. And so he had a bunch of cryptex coming up with weapons to try to do something to stop them. And ultimately, the first – all the cryptex, all of the, 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 the dynasties were scared. But the Maynard dynasty made the first move, and they slew the first Catan, and that Catan cursed them with the flare disease. And the flare curse, that's why there are more flayed ones in the Maynard dynasty than any other dynasty. And that's why in their list, you can take flayed ones as troops. They slew the first one, and they tested mm. the first weapon that allowed them to take the, the Catan and break them into shards. The Catans that we play with on the table are just fragments of the original Catans, just pieces, because the original Catan had total absolute control. And we only know of two Catans. The Nightbringer and the um, well, you know, we all know that the um, the, um, the the Mechanicus has one down there. <laughs> the Nightbringer and the Deceiver, but it was the Deceiver that tricked everybody and made everything possible. The trick was that originally the the Necrontier thought they were entering into an equitable partnership with the Catan. No, the first trick was make me a body, and then I'll teach you stuff. The second trick was get make a body. Let me make a body for you, and your body will be able to live forever. Right, right. That's that old vampire trick. Hey, you know, I can cure your disease, and you'll live forever. Right. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after they bite you, oh, now, did I mention you can't go out in the sun? So the Necrons developed the Necrodermis suits that they were put into in these these bio-furnaces. You know, it was like walk into this big oven, you, you lose your soul. The Catan, meanwhile, are feeding off of that soul and that agony of the actual process of becoming a Necron. Correct. At the, at the same time, there were Necrons who were who were worshipping the Catan because they were seen as like these all-powerful beings that were going to help them defeat the old ones and get them off, get them back out into the galaxy doing stuff. They were their heroes. Hey, they're fixing things for us. Gotcha. They were always doing the Silent King. Okay. And the, and the Silent King was always looking at them out sideways. Gotcha. Like, okay, ultimately, we're going to do something. So the Maynard dynasty was always the, the you know, 
the the iron mace. Now, interesting thing in the lore, across all the all of the lore of all the Necron dynasty, the Maynoch dynasty is clearly ruled by a female Necron. The only time we ever see instance of a female Necron. Hmm. And she she's called the mother of oblivion. That's the first thing. The other thing is in there. Their head cryptech, I mean, Toll Hulk the blinded. This guy is so crazy. They blinded him because they caught him doing experiments trying to break time. What Ooh. the hell? Ooh. You're going to get a wrist slap for that one. <laughs> right. So, what? you know, they do a lot of things like uh, Trace and the Infinite does, Infinite does this a lot. They do a lot of things with um, Tesseract vaults yes. where they trap you in time. Right. They, so they manipulate time a lot. They hold you in time. They capture you in time. They can move forward in time, move backward in time. They do a lot of manipulation of time because they have a, an understanding of time that we don't – they got that understanding mm-hmm. from the Catan. Gotcha. And they already knew some stuff, but they got some, un, some other understanding. They understand science at a level that we don't. They understand because, like, we don't under, we don't really understand how come we can crush a Necron warrior, and sometimes it can come back, and sometimes it can't because mm. it still looks crushed. What's the what's the crushing point at which it can come back and it can't? We we also like um, a Necron warrior, just a regular warrior. So it's not really a compu- It's not a computer. Mm-hmm. It by itself, it's an artifact intelligence that is powerful beyond we can it's it's we we can't even understand it because it it's not a machine it won't keep advancing right it, yeah it will fall back it will it you know what is it it's right. still it, I mean, you know what is it yeah it's a weird hybrid between like a, a soulless being and a and some kind of uh, artificial intelligence yeah when you play admech and you know you got the robots yeah that's a great example of a robot. Mm-hmm. If you have a robot and it's programmed to do something, unless you put another program in it, it'll mm-hmm. keep on doing that. Right. right. But the, the Necron don't play like that. Right. They're smarter than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, though, one of the things there, when you look at the, the Maynard dynasty and the way it operates, long before, like, the Maynard dynasty woke up and they did not go out and start snatching people. They stopped, they looked, and they just watched. And they slowly started stealing people. We still don't know what they steal people for. But we do know some of the people they steal, they steal just to feed to their uh, their flayed ones hmm. because they're very sympathetic to their flayed ones. They're like, they're our wayward children. Feed them some people. Even though we know flayed ones can't eat. They just, like the weird, right. they just like the weirder people's skins. Right. So right. Get, get, get Franklin some skin to put on. Yeah. So one of the things that I like about, you know, I have my Flay One army. One of the things I like about the Flay Ones is they play differently. They play differently. They're really aggressive. They like their technology. Their technology is really, really different. Mm-hmm. They like to be, I don't want to compare them to Space Wolves, but they like to be really aggressive, mm-hmm. really aggressive, really early, really punch you in the face. And none of the other dynasties, when they had... um when they had allies like allies of convenience, everything, none of the dynasties would work with them. And in the in the lore, what they said was that when it was time to put people to sleep, everybody was saying to the Silent King, hey, you know, now might be a good time to like have them sabotage them. Let's get rid of them. But the Silent King took extra efforts to hide them from the other dynasties. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows where they are. 
Let me read this little blurb about the flayed ones because I, I hadn't really encountered their, their backstory until just now. This is about the Flayer Curse, which was a parting gift from the Catan known as the Flayer. Over time, those Necrons tainted with the curse suffer a slow and torturous erosion of sanity. Where other Necrons are cold and calculating, these infected warriors begin to take pleasure in death and carnage, wrapping skin and torn flesh around them like grisly trophies. As the madness progresses, their actions become even more depraved, and they will feast on the flesh of the fallen. Despite being unable to digest or consume the flesh in any sense, the blood simply seeps through the gaps in their exoskeleton and pools beneath their feet. As unnerving as this behavior may be to other Necrons, their discomfort is nothing compared to the fear that is felt by other races when they encounter the flesh, the flayed ones. Appearing without warning, the flayed ones will slip into reality and begin their gory harvest, slicing their victims apart with long flensing blades that will strip flesh from bone with sickening ease. So they are, they are suffering a curse put on them by a katan. That, and you know that curse started with the main arc when they when they first turned on them and shattered him, and so in the lore what happens is ultimately when when you start to kind of degrade and you can be a warrior, you can be an overlord. It doesn't matter. It it even though usually it strikes at the warrior level in the main arc dynasty, a disproportionate number of lords are affected by it. Um, and what happens is ultimately you end up in a pocket dimension where all of the flayed ones congregate. And so they are – as battle ensues, they are in, they're drawn to the battle. And so they crawl out of their pocket dimension in groups. And so even while that's going on, normal Necrons, they like to stay away from them because they, they don't know well how they could catch that. And so they, they don't want to catch – they don't know how it's transmitted. So they're like, uh, let's stay away from that. So they don't they don't usually say, okay, bring in the flayed ones. They don't call the flayed ones. The flayed ones just showed up, shows up. No one set no one requisitions flayed ones. And the and the main arc got that curse because when they were when they were in battle with this Catan the Flayer, um, they they defeated him and then kind of as a last attack. When they shattered him, he released the curse. They were the closest one. Remember, they were already machines. Nobody knows how it made it its way through the Nobody understands it. The Eldar and the Orcs, who were created by the Old Ones, right? They needed access to the warp for travel, and they needed to tap into it for a psychic ability. So in order to stop the Eldar and Orcs' ability to use the warp, this is this is going back to what you were, uh, you were hinting at earlier, Mabel. The Catan developed those warp-dampening pylons. And those pylons are all over the galaxy to restrict, to bolster the that barrier between the warp and the physical world. They stop the warp from bleeding into our space. Exactly. As we learned in the Gathering Storm books, the uh, the Cadian Gate was was built with these pylons, which were ostensibly built by the Catan to to limit the uh, power of the Eldar and the Orcs during the War in Heaven, to kind of tie it up to the the forty first millennium again. Another thing I encountered in the research was the Enslavers. The Enslavers are living demons of the Immaterium. They are in both reality and the warp at the same time. They were created and strengthened by the fear of enslavement of the Necrontier. So as the Necrontier are walking into these biofurnaces to become one with their uh, Necrodermis metal suits, 
that fear manifested these things called enslavers. The enslavers spread quickly across the galaxy, it says here, through the warp and via an ability to control the minds of others, hence the enslavers. And this is crazy. The enslavers could also turn a physical body into a warp portal. The enslavers attacked both the old ones and the Necron, which had, which was one of the things that had forced the old ones to retreat from the galaxy was these beings called enslavers. Are there still enslavers? Who wiped them out, though? Let's look it up. Let's look it up. 60 million Terran years before the present by killing off all the sentient life that Catan needed for sustenance. Woo! The Catan went into hibernation along with their Necron armies on the Necron tomb worlds to wait for the galaxy to become repopulated with large power. Okay, we knew that. The Inquisitions, Ordo Malleus, and Xenos both have an interest in combating enslavers due to their origins in the warp and their existence as an intelligent alien species. So they're both aliens and uh, beings of the warp. Numerous enslavers were encountered by Inquisition forces in the Scintilla system in the Calexis sector in uh, M41. So they're still around, but they were destroyed then. Yeah, and they're also in the Jericho Reach. So they're still around. And Trazen the Infinite has one, which is cool. But they're basically like these clouds. It's like a cloud of brain matter with some tentacles. So if you, so going back to the main arc, right, having this dynasty that has a kind of a specific character, right, what would you, what would you say is the, the flavor of the main arc dynasty? If we, could, if we could sum up why you would choose them as your Necron army to play. They came out when there were, there were really no flavors. There was no flavor. There were some characters, but there was really no flavor to any of the other dynasties. And so, this is an earlier uh, in earlier editions of the game. It was just vanilla Necrons, and that was it. It was vanilla Necrons, and, okay. and you know, you know, at, at, later on they added flavor. So the Saltec dynasty is the premier dynasty of all the Necrons um, dynasties. And so there's a bunch of other dynasties, and they're really just kind of um, slap around dynasties. And the Saltec dynasty um, is probably – so, you know, you, if you're going to pick an overlord, you're going to pick um, one of the big guys. And Trazon is pretty crazy. I like him because he's just that crazy. And, you know, he could do anything. He's really crazy. He's crazy. Yeah, he's, <laughs> but the, 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 um, as they begin to work on the Maynard dynasty, you had a couple of um, – it, it's like a fully fleshed out dynasty. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There's another reason I'll tell you in a minute. It's a fully fleshed out <laughs> dynasty with a couple of named characters, and it has a different flavor. That's what I really like about it. But it's pretty powerful to be able to play the Flay Ones as troops. Gotcha. Okay. The Flay Ones Deep Strike, and um, you know, t- you can play 20, 20 Flay Ones. I remember I put 15 Flay Ones on the troop, and I charged them in somebody and told them I had 45 tacks, and they were like, excuse me? <laughs> Forty-five school like, I, I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and I, said, I apologize before I got in there. So nasty, and, you know. Yeah. Right. So I got him over there with a cryptech, and they had reanimation protocols. It was pretty ugly. And, and at one point, I had him over there with a um, with a, uh, a, a, a destroyer lord. You know, it's it's pretty ugly. And it can, it's it's it, I like the I like the unit. I like you know you know I got that custom army and I like the look and feel of them I like to make them all look like they're all almost uh flay all the entire army is on the verge of being flayed ones I really like it sure I really like the whole thing I like the fact that they're like uh really cunning and they don't run out and they're like okay we'll just grab some bodies over there for the flayed ones let's just see what's going on 
Let's just kind of see what these people are doing here. I really like that flavor. Next up, The Chosen. This is the section of the show where we try to turn our listeners on to something in the hobby that is easily overlooked or new to us, so maybe new to you, that kind of thing. Um, I have two things that I found in the last month that I really dug. They're, they're two books. Um, I don't think they're available in print anymore, but they're available as ebooks, and they're not very expensive from the Black Library uh, website. Uh, the first of these is a book called Chains of Golgotha by David Annandale. This is a Commissar Yarrick book. Yarrick is that Commissar who has the orc arm, but, you know, on, instead of his own arm, and he has this, uh, this red orb of an eyeball called the, um, the Bale Eye. It's like a, like a laser beam built into his face. Um, this is a short story. It's a, it's a novella, they call it, by David Annandale. And this is, uh, Yarrick after the Second War of Armageddon. Uh, he's, uh, Hunting down uh, Gazkol, um, the orc war boss, um, and the book is cool because it switches between the perspectives of several different characters. Um, it switches between Commissar Yarrick. It switches between this uh, kind of uh, royal prince who is put at the head of a part of the army that was going against Gazkol, but quickly is taught a lesson. Um, it really shows. I like the book because it was. Uh, I wrote here. It, it really shows the fear and admiration that a commissar uh, can bring to an army. And there was a really cool twist at the end. So that's Chains of Golgotha. I don't know when it came out. I have it in hardback. I got it at a used bookstore. Um, bought it on a whim. But really worth reading. Um, I had never read about uh, Yarrick before. I'd seen the model, but never read a book that featured him. So I was glad to uh, glad to check that out and did enjoy the story. And there's a cool twist at the end. Another one I really liked, uh, The Last Days of Ector. E-C-T-O-R. This is by Guy Haley. Um, this one is uh, Crimson Castellans versus High Fleet Leviathan with an Eldar twist in there. Um, I like this one for a couple of reasons. This was from a series of books called The Apocalypse Novellas. I read another one called Veildor, which was uh, much more Eldar-focused, but I think this one is the second in that series, The Last Days of Ector takes place on this planet Ector, which is, or in the system of Ector, which is uh, under attack from High Fleet Leviathan. I like this because it had really good action sequences, as all these books do. But this one really did an awesome job of describing the environment of a hive and being in the underhive while fighting in the shadows. So it was it very much evoked the world of Shadow War Armageddon where the Crimson Constellans and their allies were running through the lower levels of these monstrous city buildings, these hives, in search of this uh, tyrannid infestation that was nipping at their toes the whole time. And the way that Guy Haley put it together and the way he described the, the dark, dank, toxic, glowing, foul-smelling stuff that was all over this underhive area was it he really painted a picture i'll say that i think at their best the 30k and 40k novels 
they really do put you in a space where you feel uncomfortable and they, they put you in a place where, you know, very dangerous and very big, important events can happen. And he certainly did a really good job of this in the last days of Ector by Guy Haley. And that is also available um, ebook. It's, I think it's like three or four dollars or something to read it. Highly recommended. So that was two things I found. Uh, Last Days of Ector by Guy Haley and Chains of Golgotha by David Annandale. Lavelle, what did you have for The Chosen? You know, I I was talking to a couple of people. You know, every week I try to review on YouTube at least two battle reports. I know that doesn't sound exciting, but I have to tell you, it really, really, really has upped my game. I can't always play a game you know, twice a week, but watching a game, especially if it's a good rattle report. And I know there's certain ones that I like. I like many wargaming.com. I like, um, um, I can't remember a couple of ones that I really like, but I like watching the battle reports. I like the different armies. There's certain armies that I like. I like to see armies that I don't necessarily get a chance to play. And that helps me prepare for surprises. Right. And so, like you talked about the Screamers, I happen to have played against them. Mm. But that I would have seen that in a battle report and wouldn't have been – try to watch your army played by somebody else on a battle report. For sure. It can be really, really good. You know, sometimes when I go into gaming stores, I like to observe games. Mm-hmm. But it's good for you to, to experience the game and kind of check it out. I was just going to say, Lavelle, I like that as also a recommendation for a new player to just watch it played on YouTube first. Right. And so, you know, you got to they got to see a good battle report. So a good battle report will help you get an understanding for the game. Like, for example, I've been watching Age of Sigmar battle reports Mm -hmm. and they they give you a good flow of the game. For sure. It's really, really good. I recommend it. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back and wrap up the show. That was episode 11, the first of season two of Crew Shaken. I hope you enjoyed the somewhat new format. Hope you enjoyed the new interstitial music. We talked about the Necrons, got a little bit into one of the dynasties, the Mainarch. I think in a couple of episodes we'll go back and, and visit one of the other dynasties too. I think those stories are really interesting, especially if we can time it with when the new Codex comes out to see what uh, abilities and uh, specific stuff those dynasties are given. Uh, one more thing before we sign out. Um, Carlo had this great idea to do a, a, a contest for our Instagram account, which is at Crew Shaken on Instagram. Carlo, tell us a little bit about it. So as some of you may know, we have an Instagram account. Uh, so that tags at Crew Shaken. And we thought it might be fun to put forth a photo contest at the end of each episode, of which the best photo will win a prize. For this episode's contest, we challenge you, the listeners, to take a photo from the perspective of a sniper's scope. So that's scouts, assassins, and anyone else that might have a sniper or like weapon. Feel free to have some fun with this one through editing or whatnot. Now, I've already posted a photo from the Recon Squad games earlier this month, and I'm hoping and also pretty sure that your photos are going to blow mine out of the water. So... Post your photo with the Instagram tag at Crew Shaken, and let's see what enemies that you have marked. 
So again, we are facebook.com slash crewshaken. We don't post too much to Facebook, but we do uh, occasionally put something up there, and we do announce when these episodes are released, so do check us out over there. On Instagram, we are at crewshaken. We try to keep that to show some gaming photographs, and this month Carlo has posted a example of what that sniper perspective contest-winning photo might just look like. Anyhow, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us through Season 1. We look forward to a great Season 2. For Crew Shaken, I've been Tim. I'm Laval. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>